if I don't know you, my name is Pastor David, and um, it's 2020, and you made it to church this week, which is awesome. If you're new, you're a guest, I want to give a special welcome to you guys, uh, and let you all know that uh, uh, you have perfect attendance for this year at church, which is awesome. Uh, so, so really glad you guys made it. Um, let me say a quick word about that video, uh, which uh, is about a sermon series, a message series we're starting next week called Jesus Among Other Gods. Uh, what is it about? Well, here's the thing. Redeemer is a Christian church. And what that means is as Christians, we see the world in a, in a very specific way. Mainly all it centers on the person of Jesus Christ, who he was, what he came to do, what his death on the cross means, what his resurrection from the dead means for us and, and, and who we are. That gospel shapes the way that we live. And here's the thing. We also know that uh, the majority of the world actually doesn't see it in the same way. They don't see the world through the lens of Jesus. In fact, there uh, are more people in our world that are not Christians than are, and uh, and there are people in this community all around us who uh, have a different worldview, a different religious worldview. They are uh, Muslim, they are Buddhist, they are Hindu, they are irreligious. Uh, and so what we want to do in this series is really have a conversation about that. We want to try to first understand what is it that some of these other major world religious views are? What do they believe? Why? Uh, we're going to be fair in that. We're going to be generous. We're not going to build straw men and attack them. We're going to actually try to understand. Uh, but we're also going to really ask the question, what makes Christianity unique? And um, when it comes to it among other gods, what makes Jesus unique among other gods? Uh, that will start next week, and um, we're going to kick it off with a question that I think is really kind of important as we step into it. Uh, aren't all religions basically the same? There's actually a lot of people who, who think that, and uh, you may be one of them, and I want to speak to that uh, starting next week, and then from there, we're going to tackle some individual major religious worldviews. We're going to start with Islam, going to move into Buddhism, going to talk about Mormonism, I will talk about secularism, uh, and that'll make sense more when we get there, and then uh, we're going to finish it off with Christianity. I think uh, it's going to be very good. I am definitely biased as I say that, as I wrote this thing, but uh, it's going to be helpful for Christians and non-Christians alike, and, and I think you should come. I really think you'll benefit. I really think if you've got a, a friend from a diff different religious perspective, invite them. I think that they'll benefit too, and they'll, they'll have a good experience. All right, um, this week we are going to uh, do a one-off standalone message that I had a lot of fun writing. Um, I hope you have fun listening to. It's titled, uh, Hashtag Life Golds for Sluggards. Uh, that is the right word that you see there, and it'll make sense in a bit. As we open up the Bible, we're going to read Proverbs, two passages from the book of Proverbs. Uh, and I was put on to kind of these passages from another pastor named John Ortberg, who kind of gave me some of the stimulus for where I went with this this morning. So we're going to read those in a bit. Uh, before we get into it, uh, why don't we pray together? Lord, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we give you thanks uh, for this chance to come together this morning, for this chance to start off 2020 before you um, in worship. Uh, I thank you for every person that's here we thank you for our lives, for the breath that we breathe this morning, for the grace that you give us new right now, right here. 
this year. And as we open up uh, your word, I pray that you would help us open our hearts to hear what you have to say, to know what it is that the Spirit is saying specifically to us, and then to act on it, Lord. Um, let us know your grace and your truth this morning, and let, let us move forward uh, with you, Jesus, as we follow you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You, Jesus, are our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Anybody ever bought a new car before? Yeah, uh, a number of us have. Uh, but I'm not talking about like a new used car. I'm actually talking about like a new, new car. One that has less than 100 miles on the odometer and still has that smell, right? The new car smell, right? Yeah, uh, I did about... Six, six, seven years ago, uh, David and Shannon purchased a new car. We had uh, lived in Ukraine overseas for five years, had no vehicle there, uh, therefore could not bring one back. We had no vehicles when we returned, and uh, we had a young Jer Jesse and a young Jeremiah, two boys. We had a Johnny on the way, and we realized uh, it was time to buy a car, and with three kids, more specifically, it was probably time for the van Grands to join the Van Brigade, right? That uh, made a lot of economical sense. And so, uh, six years ago, we bought a brand new uh, Aggie Maroon Honda, Honda Odyssey. I know you Aggies wouldn't let any of that slip ever, um, which... Uh, many other people evidently bought, <laughs> if you look in our parking lot, <laughs> but, um, but uh, which... Being Aggie Maroon, my University of Texas graduate wife, Shannon, deeply regretted when she find out, when she realized what she had done. Uh, I had regrets for other reasons. Not because I didn't think it was a great car. Um, it, it really is. It's been a great car. Uh, but because, actually, it was new. It was new-new. That's what I regretted. Because here's what I learned, I came to realize, is that the moment I drove that car off the lot, what happened? Depre yeah, depreciated, man. I opened up the window and I was throwing money out of it is what happened. And then I learned over the next year, I guess the first two years, uh, that thing also depreciated tremendously. In the first two years, new cars depreciate, I think I read 25% of their original value, which is like, man, dang, I don't like throwing money away. It made me sad, right? And, um, and so... Uh, I was thinking about that because we bought it about this time of year, and I was thinking, you know what else depreciates rapidly and makes us, tends to make us later sad this time of year? Uh, hashtag life goals, New Year res resolutions, right? Everything that we set out to do right about this time of year. Right now, there are many of us here who are, are excited about 2020, and we should be. Right? We've got some good hopes, some good dreams. Uh, we've got some goals that we, we've, we've got our eyes set on, and they are shiny and new, like they're sitting in that new car lot, right? But what do we know happens? Most everybody knows this. They depreciate, right? They, over time, do not continue to have their shimmer and shine. And actually, if you hear last week, uh, Wendy Heineman, who preached, uh, actually shared about this, but according to the data, uh, the, the first drop-off happens the second Saturday of the year. About 80% of those who have made resolutions and goals 
have, have already dropped them. So next, next week when you're watching the Texans, right, play the Chiefs, you're going to eat that, that, those nachos, right? <laughs> that, that's what happens. And then uh, by the second week of February, that, the next 12% that's hung on tends to drop off till 92% in the second week of February of New Year's resolutions have gone out the window. You opened up the window and you threw it out like the money, right? Uh, And that makes many of us sad. It makes me sad. It makes me bitter. It's frustrating to think that we set out to do something and there's a 92% chance like it's going to fail, right? And uh, and with that being the reality, New Year's resolutions, everything, for many years, actually, I don't do them. I'm like, I'm frustrated by them. I'm not interested in them. Why would you do that? You're just going to fail, right? And uh, and I I didn't haven't done it. In fact, uh, years ago, I found what is my favorite all-time to-do list, written by a man some of you may know, Johnny Cash, the Man in Black, and he had a similar sentiment. This is what I love. This is so so awesome. Johnny Johnny Cash wrote this. They found it. This is what it says. His number one goal, things to do today, not smoke. Good job, Johnny Cash. Two, kiss June. June was his wife, right? Three, not kiss anyone else. (laughs) Good goal, Johnny Cash. Four, five, and six, cough, pee, and eat, right? Really serious, taking this seriously. Number seven, not eat too much. Eight, worry. That was a goal, right? Nine, go see mama. Ten, practice piano. And then he concludes... Not write notes, right? I'm done with this. I'm not doing this. Words of wisdom from the man in black, right? And I was there um, with, with him for many years. Um, however, uh, as I have gotten older, and I would like to think maybe a smidgen more mature, uh, I've actually come around on this. I actually kind of see this from a different perspective. Um, and that I actually really uh, think there's a tremendous amount of value in taking time to step back and think about our lives and set some goals. Why? Uh, because I have a conviction that God put us here on this earth and he's done that with purpose. Every single one of us, you and me, and there's a calling over our lives and there are reasons that you are where you are in your life and searching that out and making plans and setting goals That's a good God-ordained activity, especially when we give those goals to to God. And so I think what what I've come to really ask, at least for myself, and I think what I'm offering to all of you this morning, is really the question isn't like, should I set goals? It's how do I prevent depreciation? How do do we stick with it? How How do we take these things God's put in our hearts to do and stay firm in them. And then when we fail at it a month from now, how do we get back on, right? What, what is it that we do? And, uh, and that's really where I want to read our passage today. Uh, the first one, because uh, I think it, it helps, and it helps us see why and what's going on and gives us some encouragement. And uh, I want to read it. It's fun. This is actually one of the, my favorite passages I've ever got to read on a Sunday morning. Because of that one word, uh, you'll see in a second. Let me read it. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Here it is. Um, You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. I went past the field of a sluggard, right? Past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. 
and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. There you go, right? My favorite word in that passage is sluggard, right? And you see now why that was in the title. You see what I did there. Yeah, that's a real joy for a preacher, just so you know. Um, But uh, honestly, when I was like, when I read that word at first, I wasn't initially sure what it actually even meant. What is a sluggard? I do know what this is, the root word for it, a slug. You guys know what a slug is? That's a slug. It's a limus maximus, if you were interested in the scientific uh, uh, name for it. But uh, I don't see these as much in the neighborhoods I've lived in here in Texas. Uh, But growing up where I did in Illinois, every warm night, there were slugs out everywhere. Y'all have experience with slugs? Yeah, they are incredible creatures. Why on earth did God make slugs? But um, they, there are three things that I remember about slugs from my childhood. One is they are slimy and uh, greasy and gross and leave this nasty, gooey film on your hands. If you haven't experienced it, you should. It's really incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, uh, two, um, from my childhood, I also remember slugs don't do well when salted. Um, <laughs> Three, (laughs) come on, that was funny. Uh, Three, um, uh, slugs uh, are incredibly slow moving, so slow moving. Uh, I remember seeing one on the ground coming back two hours later and it had moved like a foot and a half. And, uh, And really that is the idea when this noun slug turns into uh, another noun as uh, uh, sluggard uh, is the idea is that it's slow moving and actually more specifically that it's lazy. That that is where this this sluggard term what it's really after. And when you look it up on Google, this is how Google defines sluggard: a lazy, sluggish person. A noun, sluggard according to Google, lazy, sluggish person. And then I love the sentence that Google offered us. It said. Uh, I'm waiting for those sluggards to bring me my steak. <laughs> Evidently, you use this word sluggard when you're disgruntled and impatient at a restaurant, right? But uh, there's a sense of, uh, there's a, there, the idea there is that there's a laziness, like there's a not doing what you should. You're, you're slothful, right? And that's also there in the Hebrew. When you look at this in the original language, it's that laziness that emerges. And that's the idea. I went past the field of a lazy person. And that's how this passage begins. There's a sluggard, there's a lazy person who's not doing what they're supposed to do. And the author of the proverb, who's probably King Solomon, if you know who that is from the Old Testament, was one day walking uh, by uh, a field, uh, a vineyard, a place where grapes are grown and made into wine. And uh, what he notices as he walks by this place is that it's not kept up. It's been neglected. Thorns are growing up uh, among the vines. Weeds are coming up between the rows. The stone wall that's there to protect it, to separate it off from other things so animals don't come in, is is falling apart stone by stone. It's been neglected, and Solomon sees this, and he's really actually moved and saddened by this. 
in a profound way, so much so that he writes a proverb about it uh, that we're reading today. Why is Solomon so sad? Well, really, there's a couple of reasons I think that he's sad. Firstly, one, because vineyards are supposed to be so beautiful. Vineyards uh, are, are one of the most beautiful human landscapes in existence. If you've ever been to like Spain or Italy or Napa Valley, we even have tried this in Fredericksburg in Texas, where they grow vineyards. They're wonderful, beautiful places. And that's why like people go on vacations to vineyards. They do wine tour tours in vineyard areas. They stay at bed and breakfasts. They have weddings at vineyards. You may not know this, but three out of four chick flicks have a scene where there's a vineyard in it. I just made that up, but it sure seems true. <laughs> second thing, second thing that saddens me about this, uh, uh, that saddens Solomon about this is actually probably a socioeconomic context that we don't immediately pick up on. In the ancient Middle East, in the Middle East today still, a piece of land that you can grow stuff on is so, so valuable. There's a lot of land. There is not a lot of land that you can grow stuff on. And to have something you can grow stuff on is stability, security for your family. But to have something that was good enough to grow a vineyard on, that was even better, man. That was security for generations. That was a huge gift. Um, and and to, to have that opportunity to have a vineyard, that was the opportunity of a lifetime. And to squander that opportunity that's really, really sad. And that's why Solomon is sad for all those reasons. And, and, and here's what I think Solomon knows as he walks past this vineyard, sad, uh, is that, is that there's, a, there's an even more important truth here, that, that, that God gave this man a vineyard, just like God gives all of us gifts in our lives. In a very real sense, every single one of us is given a vineyard. You've been given a vineyard. I've been given a vineyard. God has gifted each one of us with a vineyard. And it looks different, but there are gifts that God's poured out in your lives, things you can do, skills that you have. You have a mind, a body. You have certain uh, ways that you can offer uniquely things to other people. You have relationships. You have financial resources. God's given us all different things. All of us have a vineyard. And uh, whatever we have, this is, this is what God's given us. And it's the only thing that we, that we get. We only get one life. And, and so our God-given vineyard is literally the opportunity of a lifetime. And it's really the only opportunity we have because we only get one life. And, and here's what's also true. God never forces anyone to take action and care for their lives or their vineyard. He doesn't force us to tend to our vineyard. He, he allows us to do it. He partners with us, but sometimes uh, we don't. Solomon saw that this vineyard could have been a thing of beauty, a source of pride and joy, could have been a blessing to the community around it, but, but it wasn't. And this opportunity of a lifetime that was given had fallen tragically short of what it could have been. And the only reason uh, appears to be that the owner has neglected his gift. He had no idea what he had and he threw away his opportunity. Now, maybe we all aren't throwing away a huge opportunity um, in our lives, but I think there are times when all of us neglect the vineyard that we've been given. When um, there are times when we have great gifts and we just, so many opportunities, and we, we don't realize that 
and we don't care for them and steward them in the way God's asked us to do. And I was thinking about why is it that we do that sometimes? And two things came immediately to mind. Um, one is that uh, we've maybe tried to do some things in the past in our vineyard and they didn't work out and we're upset and we're wounded and we're bitter. And so we don't really want to try again. That's one reason. Here's another big reason, maybe even bigger. We're too busy gazing at, gazing at somebody else's vineyard, wondering, man, I wish I had that vineyard, what they have. And when we get fixated on what other people have, we fail to see how good it is in the gifts that God's given us. But actually, neither of those things are the answer that Solomon gives here for why this vineyard has been neglected. And he points out, this is his reason, that we get lazy, we depreciate, we let ourselves loosen up a little. And, uh, and what, what he's making, the point he's making, is that it happens so easily. Like, what depreciation in our lives with our vineyard happens so easily. Those weeds grow up so fast. Those thorns get in so quickly. And, uh, and I just want to read to you what he says at the end of this proverb. Again, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then what happened? Poverty came on him like a thief and scarcity like an armed man, right? So easy, so quick. Sitting down, folding the hands to rest. I did that yesterday in my beloved blue chair, right? <laughs> like uh, I was thinking about how like this happens easily in our own lives. What's a good example? And this is actually one that's fairly new historically, but I think many of us could relate to. Uh, imagine there's a brand new show on Netflix or Amazon Prime or more recently Disney Plus, right? And it's a good show and if you heard it's a good show and you sit down to watch one episode of The Mandalorian, right? And you're like, this is awesome. It's like Star Wars as a Western, right? And you watch it and you get done with that episode and you've got things you need to go do or you need to go to bed. But then what happens? What did Netflix and Amazon Prime do, right? They made that little counter thing, and it goes five, four, three, two, one. And then the next episode starts, and you're immediately glued to the darn thing, and it's good, and you kind of want to watch it anyways, right? And so you finish watching it, and then you watch the next one, and then you watch the next one after that, and you look over, and it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and you didn't do what you're supposed to do, and now you're, you're lacking sleep, and so you, you get up the next morning. You're not good at work, right? You, you've got to catch up at home. Uh, and suddenly life has depreciated in a major way. It happens so easily, does it not? Anybody been there, right? Um, uh, I was thinking about another example of depreciation, and New Year's, a lot of us are thinking about resolutions regarding health, how to be healthier, right? Uh, you want to be healthier? Me, yeah. I want to be healthier, Sort of, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and, and, I, and if I'm honest, if I look back, I've tried over the last number of years various efforts at being healthier, more alongside the exercise, right? I want to run more consistently or at all sometimes. I want to play more basketball. Uh, at one point a few years ago, I preached about how I'd started doing three-minute planks. I don't know if anybody uh, was here for that. Some of us, our growth group actually did three-minute planks together. Uh, one, one day, it was awesome, and Lauren beat me, who's laughing over there. But, um, 
<laughs> but uh, uh, we, uh, if you ask me, am I still doing planks? The answer is, I wish, man. <laughs> like, uh, I, uh, and how did it happen? Uh, I had a good habit of it. I was doing it for a couple months, and then I let it go a few mornings. I didn't get back on it immediately. I then got sick, right? I started it up again one day, and then a little sleep, a little slumber, right? And honestly, I didn't even remember about three-minute planks until I literally sat down to write this message, right? <laughs> That's how easy it had, it had happened. And there are just so many ways that we depreciate in the goals that we have. Even, let me just, I'd be at a loss not to say this. This is what happens in our spiritual walk when we, when we decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, and I'm going to be here on Sunday. I want to do it. So many of us want to do it. We want to follow. We want to show up to church. And yet, what happens? We go out of town one week. Then we get behind, and so we decide to stay home and catch up the next Sunday, right? And then kids have a sports activity or some other activity. And before we know it, it's like two, two months down the line, and we haven't, we haven't been here. And we're like, dang, I need some Jesus in my life, right? <laughs> and, and it just happens. It happens that easily. And, and that's what Solomon is pointing out. A little slumber, a little sleep a little folding of the hands to rest, and it happens, right? So what do we do? We who easily slide into sluggardom, right? Um, what, how do we respond? Well, here's uh, the thing. This actually, I couldn't believe this. This isn't the only passage in the Bible that uses the word sluggard. <laughs> There's actually another one, and it gives advice to sluggards. So let, let, I want to read it. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Um, I'll go ahead right now uh, and read it for you. It says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. There's the word. See it? I all caps it just in case, right? You sluggard. Go to the ant. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer <clears throat> and gathers its food at the harvest. Right? You ever taken life lessons from an ant before? <laughs> well, now, now you're about to, right? And first thing, there's two things that this proverb actually points out that I think are true and worth, worth noting. One, um, ants do not require external motivation. They don't need anybody telling them what they should do. Ants just do it. Passage says, Consider the ant. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler, right? Nobody needs to do that. The ant knows that if you're waiting around for someone else to get your work done, your life into shape, it's not going to happen. If you expect your boss, parents, teacher, friends, spouse, please don't expect your spouse uh, to help you do the right thing, you're in serious trouble, okay? Ants know I'm responsible for my vineyard, my life, and we should too. That's really the first thing that the Bible's telling uh, in wise words to those of us who easily slide into being sluggard. Second thing, ants understand opportunity. That's the other thing that I think is being pointed out. It says, even in the summer, the ant stores its provisions and gathers food at the harvest. Uh, the point being made there is that ants uh, typically gather their stores during the fall, right? That's when most animals do. There's crops that are there. There's a harvest. It's time to get ready for a cold winter. But the ant not only does that, it's wise 
when there's an opportunity in the summer, when nobody else wants to work, when it's hot outside, what is the ant doing? It's still gathering the things that it needs to gather. It's always understanding the opportunity. And the lesson here for us is that when God places opportunity in our lives, we see it, and by God's grace and mercy, we go for it. We tend to that vineyard when we are given opportunity. And, and stepping back, like, what is the main idea here? If I was to, like, kind of put it together and summarize it, I think the ant teaches us, if we fall into this trap, just to keep going, to, to continue to do something. Don't give up. Get back on the saddle. When we're behind, when life depreciates, just keep going. Keep trying get that internal motivation and get back on the saddle and do it. doesn't matter how many times you fail. Have you ever taken out a fire ant pile? I do it all the time. What happens after you take out that fire ant pile? They go build six other ones, right? That, that is the lesson there. And, uh, and, and I think that, that really it's quite simple. Keep going. Keep trying. Uh, and, and so when we step, as we step into a new year, I want to encourage you guys to do something with all this in mind. We're, we're going to actually try to do something as a church. If it goes well, awesome. We'll do it again next year. If it doesn't, if it's not helpful, forget that we ever had this conversation, okay? Um, here's the plan. Uh, this is a dream guide. This is a dream guide, and I actually uh, was introduced to it uh, because Mary Lee printed it off and left it on the, tr on the printer here at church, and I was like, whoa, this is really good, so you can thank Mary Lee for this. But uh, this is uh, a, a guide to kind of setting goals, and it's a research from um, Jenny Allen, and I've actually mentioned her before. She's the leader of the IF movement, uh, which is a great movement for women. Uh, which we actually participate in here in the fall and the spring. We have some gatherings. And, uh, and, and this is her guide for folks involved in this movement or beyond to be a part of it. And men, this resource is for us too. And if you think because you're a man this doesn't apply to you, get over yourself or go build a better one. Write me a better one, you sluggard, okay? Um, <laughs> this is how Jenny Allen uh, defines dreaming in her guide, and I really like her definition. She says this, this is what we're doing. We're taking the things you've been given in your life and bringing them before God, asking, God, what do you want me to do this year with the things you've given me? God, what do you want me to do this year with the things you've given me? That's so good. Like, it's so simple, but what's so good about it is she's recognizing that our best vision is actually God's vision for us. And we, we realize that by asking God the question, what is it? that you want me to do. And we, of course, bring our own desires and hopes and things with that, but we, we, we bring them before God so that he can see them and help us work through them. And, uh, and, and there's a scripture passage that I think is really helpful as an impetus. One of the reasons why I am for this kind of thing, it's Galatians 6, 4 through 5, uh, that she shares in her guide. And this is the message paraphrase. It says this, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life, with your own vineyard, right? It's good. And, and what the guide then does is it kind of uh, helps us work through that. And for 
specific parts, spiritual, relational, personal work. Those four aspects of life you, you take before God, you think about, and she helps you uh, do some setting of goals with various categories. And, um, and uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to create, we're creating an opportunity for some folks to do that here and, and to do that as a part of this community at Redeemer. Tuesday night, we're going to uh, have something called uh, the Goals Guide Potluck. Tuesday night, it's going to start at 5.30 with food, with the eating of potluck. And then at 6, uh, we will go through a process, uh, like a workshop, where we'll talk about this a little bit and, and do it together and uh, bring it before God and have some prayer and some conversation. And, uh, and there's a plan for the kids to even do a little something if they come. And, and one of the reasons I'm extremely uh, hopeful about this is that there's been quite a bit of research on what it actually takes to get goals in our life done. And there are various things that emerge when we set out, what helps us be part of that 8% that succeeds. And uh, the things that emerge are, are like writing them down because you need to get clear and understand where you're aiming for, creating an actual plan to make it happen, measuring the progress along the way. Uh, and we'll talk about some of those th things and others on Tuesday night. But you know what one of the most important is? I think it may be actually the most important in all these goals. For your goals, it's somebody else. It's telling somebody else what you want to do and why, and, and getting their encouragement and support and accountability as you move forward with it. Uh, and, and, and there are no better people to help you in that journey than the ones right here in this room uh, who are friends, who want God's best for you. Uh, I'd, I'd say do it as a growth group. Consider other ways you can come uh, and do it with friends. It should be a lot of fun. We're for each other in this church. We want each other to thrive in these aspects of life. And this is an opportunity to make it happen. One more thing I want to just briefly say. Um, I think some of us, like I said earlier, may have hesitancy to do something like this. And maybe the reason is because we look at our vineyards and we're embarrassed with where they're at. Like we don't feel like we've tended ours well. And, and you think, I've been neglectful. And then we look at like other people and we think, oh man, their vineyard looks like it's in such good shape. I wish it was more like them. I want, I want to say just a couple things. One, nobody's vineyard is together or in shape. We all have vineyards that have areas of neglect and need some help. And I want this to be a very grace understood truth that we're hearing this morning. Okay? We all come to this as with lots of sluggard in us, right? And so I really want us to, to come exactly as we are. But here's the good news. We imperfect people follow a perfect God. And he's for us and, and with us in this. And, and, and this is the kind of process that God oftentimes uses to help turn those things around in our lives and get focus. And, um, and, and I just want to say maybe this is the year that through God's grace could be your year. That you could turn some things around, that things could look better. We named this church Redeemer because we believe that one exists. And I pray that that could happen for you. I pray all of us, wherever we are, step into uh, this new year uh, with God ahead of us and with some good goals in front of us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you uh, for your word and the way that you uniquely 
unusually speak to us through ants and sluggards, Lord. I thank you for your scripture this morning and what we've learned and what you've had to say. And I just pray for wisdom moving forward. I pray that as the Holy Spirit has spoken to each one of us, uh, Jesus, we would hear it. We wouldn't be afraid of it. We would feel your grace as we step into your truth. And Lord, um, you'd lead us. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.